good morning again. Let's try that again, okay? Good morning. Thank you over there. All right. If we all could sing as loud as you, everybody would hear us. Don't you love that last phrase? I love it, Silas. Keep doing it, man. So, uh, yeah, um, I don't know where I was going. Um, we're going to read the Bible now. Uh, so take your Bible, turn to Philippians. We're going to be in chapter 3. Uh, I was sitting backstage singing and worshiping with you guys and um, just kind of get my mind right. Um, you've ever had one of those nights where you wake up every hour? I had one of those last night, so I'm, I'm, I'm a really caffeinated, y'all. Uh, so this could go well or really bad. Uh, but um, as we're singing that, you know, I lo- what Megan was saying, you're singing from the mountains, singing in the street, Jesus in the mountains, you, you, that phrase, wasn't that beautiful? And I was reminded by, uh, I was reading this yesterday, actually, um, by the Apostle John, one of the, or James, I'm sorry, one of the disciples of Christ, son of Zebedee. He was a fisherman by trade, and uh, he, uh, after Christ was crucified and rose from the dead, the church scattered after uh, the stoning of Stephen in Acts chapter 6. And as the church scattered, all of these Christian leaders, all these apostles, one by one were martyred for their faith, except for John. Uh, he's the only disciple of Christ that died of natural causes. But James, what was so fascinating about his martyrdom, as uh, he was standing trial for being a Christian, he defended his faith so articulately that as he was being led to be beheaded, the Roman soldier who watched him defend his faith confessed Christ and lay down with him and let his own let his let his gave his life for Christ at that moment as well. They both were beheaded together, and that is singing Jesus from the mountains until your death. Right? That's singing Jesus from the streets. They said when Andrew, the disciple of Christ, was crucified for his faith for two days. He preached Jesus from the cross. And yet it's difficult for us even to give a kind word, isn't it? In Walmart, at home, even on social media as it pertains to politics or whatever. And so my encouragement to you as you sing these songs is to make it a prayer for yourself that I would be the person that is salt and light to the world, is salt and light to my family, is salt and light to my workplace is salt and light to those I'm around. Now that leads us to what we're going to be dealing with this morning. We have one more, um, one more part, one more message in this series called A Throne of Lies. Next week we're going to be dealing with a heavy subject. We're going to be dealing with a throne of lies from the position of shame as it pertains to mental illness. And so that's going to be a tough one next week. Uh, one of the convictions I have is to help people move beyond that. That's why we helped establish the ministry village here in the community with all the Christian therapists. We believe that every person shouldn't be ashamed of what they're going through between their ears. But yet, in many occasions, the church has diminished that or made even people feel ashamed of that. And so we're going to be walking through that from a biblical perspective next week. But this week, we're going to be dealing with something near and dear to all of our hearts. Now, let me go over the lies we've dealt with so far. And these are the lies that creep into our lives, that creep into our psyche, that even creep into our churches and become a core value or dogma for us. Now, lie number one we dealt with is that God wants us to be wealthy. Has it happened yet? Most of us are like, no, not wrong to have wealth, actually. Not wrong to be poor either. What's wrong is to make either one of those an idol. So, God wants us to be wealthy. That was a lie. Second lie we dealt with is God wants you to be great. Well, what is greatness? 
and we use that statistic, is that 86% but the 13 to 38-year-olds expect to be some type of social influencer. As we have this thing in our mind, if we're not at this level, now yesterday I was watching, uh, I don't know if you heard the big news, J-Lo and Ben Affleck got married. Who cares? Um, and I was scrolling, I was scrolling, I get, I get all my news, I read all my news online, not on Facebook. I actually read the news. And, um, and it was like, man, Ben Affleck takes a nap on honeymoon. That was the headline, y'all. Like, people are dying in Ukraine and we want to watch Ben take a nap. All right. It, that's our idea of what greatness is about. But greatness needs to be redefined. Greatness is being great in the ordinary things, being a great husband, being a great wife, choosing to be a patient parent, choosing to do the right thing when culture pushes the other way. That's really what greatness is, is it not? It's godliness. Then we dealt with the whole lie, and we, I spoke on this during our offering. God wants me to speak in power and what that really means. Then last week we dealt with a tough one. God wants us to doesn't want me to suffer and what that looked like and how we maneuver through suffering from a biblical perspective reality is if you live and breathe you're going to suffer right bad things are going to happen christ doesn't necessarily take us out of that suffering he promises eternal hope and joy in the afterlife for the eternity but the suffering we deal with now we want to cling to our dependency in the lord now this morning we're going to shift gears a little bit. And we're going to attempt to answer the question, does God want me to be happy? Now, I like being happy, don't you? You know, I learned it from a, I, I learned it as a kid. If you're happy and you know it, what do you do? Clap your hands. There we go. Some of us ain't clapping, though. Now, when I was a kid, when I was in high school, a song came out. And it spoke deeply to me, as it did to many of you. It's still popular today. And it goes right along with uh, our teaching series and right along with our passage this morning. Specifically, let's go to Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. Notice what Apostle Paul writes here. And he says, Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write these same things to you again. It's a safeguard for you. And he says in verse 2, Watch out for the dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. And let's stop right here. This is an important point because, first of all, if you're a Georgia fan, that's your go-to verse. You're going to get that later, all right? But the song I'm talking about is this, and maybe you've heard it before. I'm sure you have. Here it goes. Who let the dogs out? Thank you. I really was hoping somebody would do that. I was hoping it would be somebody over 25, but... I'll take what I can get. <laughs> I love our church. I mean, it's just authenticity. And people are watching this online. Y'all get this, right? They have no idea what happened. Let me tell you what happened online. Somebody barked, all right? And this is not one of those type of churches. We're just letting the dogs out this morning. Here's the deal. Go back to what it says there. Notice this. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write these things to you again. And it's a safeguard for you. We're going to deal with that in just a moment. And then notice what happens here. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For we, for it is we who are the circumcision, who, we, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. Now stop. I want to give you a couple things here as we begin to really drill down on what's happening. 
What he's saying here, he says, watch out for those dogs. He's talking about Jewish people coming into the Christian faith saying you're wrong. You need to practice circumcision from the perspective that is your sign that you are Jewish. You need to quit following Jesus. And not only that, as Paul is writing this from a Gentile context in a prison cell in Rome to the Philippian people, he's saying this. He says, these dogs are these things that steal our joy. And many times the person that lets the dog out in our life is you and it's me those are the lies and what it does is it steals our joy but there is a profound difference between what is joy and what is happiness now Paul uses this phrase go back to verse 1 further my brothers and sisters rejoice in the Lord that's an imperative that's a commandment you don't have a choice here you're choosing this you're being obedient here but it doesn't say happiness does it it says rejoice or take joy in which is profoundly different than happiness happiness we've talked about this over and over again it's very circumstantial I can be happy one moment and sad the next but my joy can be consistent you with me that's the difference Christ didn't die for you to be happy because let's go back to our illustration that we've been using throughout the entirety of this series is that when we're born we view life like having a butler bring me happiness bring me influence bring me power bring me health and bring me a position to where I have a lot of stuff and that's going to make me happy every one of those lies we talked about buys into the idea of happiness does it not I'm going to be happy if I feel good I'm going to be happy if I have a lot I'm going to be happy if I have great relationships I'm going to be happy if I'm respected or have some form of power or do well at my job I'm going to be happy if I'm great and I have all my dreams come true I mean we have this embedded in our brains from the very moment we're born when you wish upon a what star it makes no difference who you are Happiness is very different than joy. Christ died for your joy. Joy in suffering, joy in poverty, joy in wealth, joy in not being known, joy in being known. Christ died for your joy. That's why the Bible says the joy of the Lord is our what? Strength. So what does this look like? Because the thing is, we've treated Jesus like a butler. Jesus, bring me my joy. Bring me my happiness. And if I'm not happy, then something must be wrong with Jesus or something's wrong with me. I'm not living a faithful life or I've got sin hidden in my life somewhere. All of these are broken down and fall apart when weighed against the totality of Scripture. And so what we have to understand something really profound here, we're going to start with this huge principle. Y'all ready? Happiness is accomplished in what Christ has done, not what we do or what we can do. Period. There's your joy. It's not determined by what you've done. It's not determined by who your family is. It's not determined by all the accolades. It's not determined by whatever your dreams come true. It's not determined by a mouse in Florida. It's not determined by how many people follow you on Instagram. It's determined by what Christ has done. 
And when we go back to the butler, we forget the king. You with me on that? When we shift gears here and say, I want you to bring me my happiness. Now, it's not wrong. I want, I want, to, I want to be very clear. It's not wrong to pray for happiness and joy. It's not wrong to pray for healing. It's not wrong to pray for provision. It's not wrong to pray to be a godly influence. It's not wrong for any of those prayers. It's not, it's not wrong. What's wrong is when we begin to make it a core value and that God must not be God or I'm not faithful enough if these things aren't happening to me. Does that make sense? He's the king. He's not the butler. So, as we try to put the dogs back in the pen, how do we do that so that our joy isn't robbed? Because it's our choice if our joy is going to be robbed or not. Now, I want to, again, let me clarify. This is very different, very different than happiness. You can grieve and still have joy. You can be angry and still have joy. You can have anxiety and be depressed and still have joy. William Cooper, I've told this guy about this guy. He was, uh, I believe, a 17th or 18th century hymn writer. And if you ever want to look him up, it's William and it's spelled Cowper, C-O-W-P-E-R. But uh, he writes a hymn, and he was manically depressed his entire life, attempted suicide, not somebody that was happy. But he wrote this quote, and I love this as it pertains to joy. He says, behind every dark cloud, Christ hides a shining or smiling face. Isn't that, isn't, that, isn't that deep? Isn't that powerful? It's behind these dark clouds in our lives. There's a smiling face. It said, this is your joy. Doesn't mean you grieve. Don't, it doesn't mean you don't grieve. But it means your hope somewhere different. So, as we look toward the king, basically, how do we gain a perspective that honors the Lord and doesn't steal our joy and puts the dogs back in the pen. So let's look at the text. Go back to chapter 3, verse 1. Now, I want you to remember that context here. Now, he's, Paul is writing this from Rome. He's in a prison. He's waiting to die, okay? He's probably at this point been beaten, and he's definitely, some people think, and I agree with this, that he's chained to a prison guard almost 24 hours a day. This is not a good situation. Yet, in these four chapters, four chapters, small chapters in the Bible, he writes the word joy or rejoice nine times. Be joyful. As an imperative, I have joy. You get what I'm saying here? This is where you get this familiar passage. I can do all things through him who gives me what? Strength. And that's not to accomplish great things. That means that I can be joyful while in misery. You follow me on that? Now, get this finally my brothers and sisters rejoice in the lord now i want you to get this next part don't read past this it is no trouble for me to write these same things to you again and it's a what it's a safeguard for you so he's writing this this the same word the same idea rejoice joy you can even call the book of philippians the book of joy and why does he say this over and over again he's saying this because it's an important theme that we have to grab hold of 
He doesn't want us to forget it. He doesn't want them to forget, hey, I'm in jail. You're going to face persecution. The world is on fire. The apostles are being killed. Christians are being thrown into the Colosseum and eaten by lions. You're being chased out of Jerusalem. Rejoice! There's more. It's not about happiness. There's something bigger than happiness. Now, this is interesting. And, and, and to use the phrase, he's beating a dead horse here. But what he's trying to do is instill into our brains that provision is not going to give you joy long term. That health isn't going to give you joy long term. That influence isn't going to give you joy long term. He's saying rejoice in something deeper. Drill down to the bedrock, man. Scoop down to where you can find the good stuff. Now, when we investigate this a little further for just a few minutes, and we'll see this in just in the next few verses, in verses four through seven, Paul was a guy who had everything but viewed it as nothing. Does that make sense? He had everything a religious leader could want. And so we need to clarify, and here's your first principle here. As we fight for joy, we have to clarify truth. Okay? We have to clarify what it means. Because unfortunately, words get twisted. Words get redefined over time, do they not? And what Paul is saying here over and over again, nine times, rejoice, joy, rejoice, joy, rejoice, joy. We have to clarify that this is an imperative we have to clarify that this is founded in Jesus. We have to clarify that we're not always going to be happy. We have to clarify that the joy of the Lord is our strength. Now, a couple of other words that need to be defined from a biblical perspective. When we use the phrase faith, some say that faith, and I want, I want to read this verbatim from my manuscript here, faith as a force that has power outside of God. Let me kind of give you an example of that. It's the faith to will something to happen. Y'all been there before? Well, I have the faith that's going to happen. I'm going to will it. I'm going to make it happen. It's the raw material that's in my brain, that's in my heart to say, I'm going to believe so hard on this that it's going to manifest itself or it's going to happen. But when we look at Scripture, faith, according to Hebrews, and all throughout Scripture, and notice what happens here in verse 11, chapter 11 of Hebrews now, faith is a confidence of what we hope for and the assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made of what was visible. Faith is the posture of the heart that said, I'm going to trust you, Lord. There's a difference there. Now, it's very subtle, is it not? But it's very different. You know, if you and I got in a rocket today, and you're in one and I'm in the other, and our objective is the moon, and I'm one degree off, and we both head to the moon at the same, uh, same trajectory, the same speed, I'm going to miss it by 4,000 miles. So subtle differences are important. Y'all with me on that? Subtle differences are important. 
was guiding me one time and um, older they've all they both passed away and gone to heaven now but in their later years his wife lost her sight she was completely blind and I'd call him I said how are things going he said we're just sitting here waiting for our eyes to open we've prayed it in the name of Jesus it will happen and so every month I call him how are things going we're just still sitting here waiting for these eyes to open we've prayed it it's going to happen a couple of months before he passes away he says this which is probably a more appropriate way we've asked for God to open our eyes but we know she's either going to see now or in eternity that's faith you get the difference that's faith it's very subtle but it's important to understand the difference between the two another word that we mess up with is victory what does it mean to have victorious living and we equate that to happiness and what we accomplish through right living and right works but what we have to understand here is victory has already been taken care of through Jesus you live in it you've won doesn't feel like it sometimes notice what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians he says this starting in verse 54 when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with the immortality then the saying that is written will come to death has been swallowed up in what? victory that's what Jesus does here is he claims victory over something that human beings have not been able to figure out how to beat defeat and that is death and he goes where O oh, death is your victory where O oh, death is your sting the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law but thanks be to God he gives us what the victory through Jesus Christ victory is not how well we live our lives or how happy we are or how many of those lies have actually come true in our lives victories in Jesus in the fact that he defeated the thing we can't defeat another word this is clarifying truth this all goes under this line of clarifying truth is the word blessed sometimes I put on my you know I don't know if y'all done this before on social media it's been a great day hashtag blessed I had a great meal tonight hashtag blessed my car I, I, I found I found gas at 388 a gallon hashtag blessed I don't know we can go on and on about what blessed means right but ultimately if we really and guys I feel blessed but the core the core root of that blessing Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 get this praise be to God our father our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ what is ultimate blessing Jesus in your citizenship in heaven that is blessing forgiveness redemption he's taking away our shame taking away our guilt he's he's defeated death you feel me on this this is huge now there's times you are blessed he does this whole thing in Matthew chapter um, uh, 2 3 I'm sorry blessed are the poor in spirit blessed are the pure in heart the beatitudes is what it's called but that means happy is he joyful is he and it's an eternal internal thing and it will be an eternal thing so when we don't clarify truth three huge things happen you might want to write these down three three big mess ups one we have unbiblical expectations you get what I'm saying on this have y'all ever had that happen before well, why aren't I happy why am I suffering it's not fair or two we have betraying emotions y'all ever had that happen get angry if things don't go out the way we want we have a very much Burger King mentality of our faith I want it my way and I want it what right away so there's betraying emotions that happen and then finally it's this a short-sighted gospel 
if we think this is happy you just wait this is nothing so with all that being said we have to clarify truth now let's keep rolling here go to verse 4 Paul writes all this stuff and he says though I myself have reasons for much for such confidence if someone thinks that they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh he says I have more so basically saying if, if anybody thinks that they can be happy based upon what they do or have prestige or have confidence in who they are based upon where they're from Paul wins Paul gets it notice this he says circumcised on the eighth day according to Jewish law of the people of Israel God's people of the tribe of Benjamin where the first king of Israel came from a Hebrew of Hebrews in regard to the law a Pharisee as for zeal persecuting the church as for righteousness based on the law I was faultless he had all, I mean look at this resume he had the heritage when he's a Hebrew of Hebrew he had the learning as far as for zeal before he became a Christian he was having Christians killed he was chasing them out of his homeland he was a guy supposedly after God's own heart but he missed something here and this is what we have to understand about this is it confidence in, is, is, is in what Christ has accomplished not what we do the better way we have to understand this is this we can say I'm an American of Americans my great 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 grandfather came across in the Mayflower his son and their sons fought in the French and Indian War then the Revolutionary War they signed the Declaration of Independence they signed the United States Constitution my ancestors all the way back to my great great grandfather fought in the Civil War they fought on the right side they fought in every war we are patriotic and now I'm serving and I'm giving my life so that I can be the best American I'm popular I'm an American of Americans does that make sense that's what Paul is saying here nothing wrong with that I think that's really cool by the way but then he goes on to say something very profound here he says in verse 7 but whatever were gains to me I now consider a loss for the sake of Christ what he's saying is I can't put confidence in what I've done or where I'm from and here's your principle I have to put confidence in what Christ has accomplished my joy is in what Christ has accomplished period your joy has been in what Christ has accomplished that's where it's grounded that's where it anchors and so as we begin to chase these dogs away understand we chase them away with our confidence in Jesus now last principle I need to get this notice what happens let's go back to verse 7 but whatever was gained were gained to me I now consider a loss for the sake of Christ what is more I consider everything a loss because of surpassing worth don't skip over that word of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whose sake I have lost all things I consider them garbage that I may gain what Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness that's for my own or from the law but that which comes through faith dependence trust in Christ the righteousness that comes from God is on the basis of faith meaning his whole right standing before God his whole paradigm of joy fits within his acknowledgement and his bedrock foundation of Jesus we have to buy into that and so what I want you to understand as you 
attempt to put the dog away is this don't grieve what can or has been lost but celebrate what is to be gained that's a tough one isn't it that's tough don't grieve what has been lost or can be lost but celebrate what is to be gained I was a little kid and my house burned down I was seven years old and I was a Star Wars fanatic I mean y'all some of you some of you are a lot younger than me it's like oh Star Wars hasn't been around that long no it's been around like almost 50 years uh, and I mean I remember just loving Star Wars any of y'all with me on that I mean forget Star Trek I mean Star Wars was it Han Solo I wanted to grow up to be like him and uh, I'd gotten all the action figures I even had a Darth Vader action figure carrying case I put all my little Star Wars men and each one had their own little label and I could put Luke Skywalker and I could put Han Solo and Princess Leia and all the, I had all these things yeah so I, my house burned down and the first thing I went to check make sure my Star Wars men were alright that's what I wanted to make sure that was the most valuable thing in my life at that moment and they made it I can't tell you where they are today I think they're in my attic <laughs> can't value what can or has been lost but I want to celebrate what can be gained you get me it's Jesus so how do, I, how do we maintain this because the reality is bad things will happen suffering will happen brokenness may happen you know you may not be great and you want to be happy because I want to be happy don't you yeah everybody say you should right? yeah I don't want no I want to be miserable my entire life no, I want to be happy, man. I want to enjoy this. I, I mean, we're, 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 our purpose in life is, is to know God and enjoy him forever. What do we do here? Well, notice verse 10 and 11. I want you to know. I, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. That's a lot right there. We could spend... We could spend a month on those two verses, but I'm going to just kind of boil it down on two things here. And this is your two applications. Yearn for the things of God rather than the things that this world offers. Yearn for the things of God rather than the things that this world offers. And that's a tough one right there. Because sometimes I yearn for a new car. I yearn for an upgrade in certain areas. I yearn for, I mean, it could be a million different things. You know, if you're into music, I yearn for the newest album of my favorite artist. It could be a million things. But when we begin to replace that, I want to yearn for the things of God rather than the world because those things of this world are passing, they're fleeting, they're going to go away. The things of God will not. Two, learn what the Bible says and apply it to your life. That is the best point of application I could probably ever give you other than trusting Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior is to learn what the Bible says and apply it to your life. Now, are you always going to understand it? No. I mean, I've been doing this for you. I went to school for eight years. Long, oh, Lord, not longer than that <laughs> to learn how to interpret this. I'm still learning. I'm still trying to figure out stuff. I'm still beating on it and saying, oh, Lord, apply it, apply it, apply it. But you don't stop. That's the beauty of it. It gives you more and more and more until the day you die. And then you see the word face-to-face -face in Jesus. You learn what the Bible says and apply it to your life. And begin to really know that richness I'm going to give you an assignment go to bible.com or the bible app and do the foundations of the faith study it's a really good study for you guys if you're just starting out and reading your bible but listen you want to nurture joy you nurture yourself in the word you get me on this 
If you want to nurture your joy, you go to the Word. You spend time with Jesus. Then you'll realize, get this now, that your spouse may not always make you happy. Amen? Is that all right over there? Okay. <laughs> you know he's sitting next to you, right? I'm just <laughs> He's a good dude, by the way. You know, yeah, yeah. Okay, amen, all right. <laughs> all right, online people, I just don't even explain that. All right. You may, you may realize that they don't always make you happy, but to have your joy in Christ instead of putting that weight on them to make you happy all the time changes your marriage. You get it? It changes the way you parent. If your children... You know, not always going to make you happy. Don't say anything. We don't want to ruin their self-esteem here. But when we take the weight of them being caught giving us all our joy and we put it on Jesus, it changes things. Or our job, or whatever it may be. You put that weight on Christ. That's the burden he carries, not the people in your life, not the stuff in your life. And that's nurtured through our relationship with the Lord and our time in the Word. Let me finish with this story of a man in Vietnam. And uh, during the Vietnam War, he would be an interpreter for American soldiers and work with the State Department, I believe, but he was on the side that lost. Not only that, he was a believer. He believed in Jesus. And so as the North Vietnamese communists took over the entire country, they put him in prison not because he was a sympathizer. That helped, I'm sure, but mainly because... He was a follower of Christ, and he didn't back down on this. And so one day, he was given the awful, awful task, and I'm going to get a little grotesque here for a minute, of cleaning the latrine for the officers. And they used these prisoners to do all the grunt work, so they didn't care how clean it was when they left it. So you can follow that train of thought there. So he goes into the restroom or wherever the latrine was and begins to clean it, and he notices that one of the soldiers or the officers had been using, had found a Bible, and he'd been using it as toilet paper. He was disgusted. He was angry. And that morning, he had prayed a prayer. He said, Lord, this is the last time I'm going to pray to you. I'm going through too much persecution. I don't feel happiness. I don't feel joy. And on that floor was a piece of paper from the Bible. And it said Romans 8.28. And it was simply this. God will bring good out of the bad I'm paraphrasing here for those that love him and on the day he said I'll never pray again his face was renewed why because of a simple verse in scripture and every day he volunteered to clean the latrine he would take all those pages of paper and pages and he'd go back to his prison cell and he'd memorize them scripture listen to me matters people it matters. And if you're looking to have your joy nurtured, go to the Word. If you're looking to find joy, it begins with Jesus. It's asking Christ to come into your life. It's saying, Lord, I need you. Lord, I'm a sinner. Lord, forgive me and make me your child. And if you've never done that before, on the Connect card you were given, check the box that says, Today I need Jesus, or text in the phrase that says, I need Jesus to the number on the screen. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And God, we ask that you would specifically move in our hearts and minds 
and allow us to experience more and more of you. Lord, in your name, in your power, and in your might, we're praying, Father, that you would bless. We're praying, Father, that you would work. And we're praying, Father, that you would strengthen us and give us the joy that we so yearn for that comes from knowing you. Lord, let us take that burden of putting our source of joy on other people or things and put it on you, Christ. And so, God, nurture us through your word. Let us learn it and let us yearn for you. And let us find our true hope and our strength in the joy of the Lord. In Christ's name we pray. And all God's people said, amen.